The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is episode 191, How to Get Hired in 2024. Version 3. Version 3. We This is the third time we've attempted to record this. Uh, the first two times were thwarted by Ranger, my girlfriend's dog. Um, he's a really good dog, except for today, I guess he ate something that didn't agree with him, and he decided to wait until we were recording to puke one time, cleaned it up, started recording again, and he proceeded to puke a second time. So we're hoping, fingers crossed, that it doesn't happen again. What do you say, Ranger? Huh? We going to be good? We going to get through this one? I would, sh- I would let everybody see you, but I don't know a good way to get you in view without wrecking all the cables and things we have on our desk. So you might see his tail if you're watching on the YouTube live stream, which is not live but recorded. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, you may see his tail kind of running around back here. Oh, here he comes. Or a camera bump or something. Or a camera bump, and that would be Ranger. Um, So he's just a real spirited dog and uh, has a lot of energy and apparently a lot of puke. All right, into the episode. We are talking about how to get hired in 2024. This is an episode that we have done Uh, or Caleb has done, rather. He did it back in 2017, nearly seven years ago. And uh, we are revisiting it because things have changed uh, since 2017. And uh, we wanted to talk about uh, some of the new things that we think. Um, Some of the stuff hasn't changed. But we've got, I have on my list here, Five things, five steps to get hired in 2024. Clay has four steps. I think some of our steps are the same. So you may get anywhere from five to seven steps over the course of the episode, of course, with the usual forays and rabbit trails that you have come to expect from us. Um, So first things first, Clay, do you want to go over... The first thing you need to do if you are trying to work in the hunting industry in 2024. I think this is, uh, there's two things you need to do at the same time. One is you need to identify what kind of content you want to create. And I think that goes hand in hand with where your skill level is. I think your skill level and your interest will help you decide what kind of content you want to make, whether that's social media imagery and reels, whether it's web content like YouTube videos of 
a hundred thousand different genres, whether that's reviews, um, how-to videos, things like that, whether it's a web show that goes on a streaming platform, uh, whether it's TV or whether it's commercial work like TV commercials, brand commercials, um, release content, brand anthems, things like that. So I think those two hand in hell, hand in hand will help you decide which way you should and probably will go. Yeah, I think it's important to be honest with yourself about your skill level and the quality of content that you are currently producing. Um, I can speak for everybody here at the office and a lot of creative professionals in saying that uh, most of us are never at the level that we want to be at yet. Uh, and it's our job I'm, as I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Clay's topped out. <laughs> Clay's at the if, max. If Clay is topped out, then Copeland creative is in trouble. Clay, you know, that's up to you whether or not you're tapped out, okay? (laughs) It's our job as content professionals to always be leveling up. But at the same time, you have to understand the level at which you can work and the quality of content that you can provide uh, in order to kind of properly uh, go after the brands and price yourself and all that kind of stuff. Um but I think that uh, you should always be looking to level up. Um, and so just because you may be at level one now doesn't mean that you won't be at level seven um, in a period of time if you work on it. Right. And I guess also, too, you need to uh, – no, we'll get well, – that's next. Never mind. We'll, we'll, that'll be next. Sorry. Okay. Jumping ahead a little bit, Clay. Sorry. I like it. I like the enthusiasm. Sorry. 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 I like it. Usually, Clay – you sit off to the side like a neglected child. I said I don't like Sitting it. on I, your phone. I don't like the new live stream setup because if I sit like this, everyone can see all of the golf I'm looking at on my phone when uh, when we're live streaming <laughs> normally over there. So now I have to be, it's like I'm back in class again. Present and engaged. Yeah. Pencils ready. Yeah. All right. So after you've kind of determined your skill set, um, I think the next thing to do is Figure out your goal. And this is something that we've talked about ad nauseum. uh, And we'll continue to talk about it because figuring out where you want to end up is going to guide the steps that you need to take to get there. Uh, Just like anything in life, uh, you can't get anywhere without a goal. I mean, you can. You just don't know where you're going. Um, I've had a few hunts like that. Uh, But... (laughs) Clay's laughing because he knows. He knows what it, he knows. I've been on a lot like. of those trips yeah. with you. Yeah. It just kind of we look at each other and we put our heads down and shake our heads like we want to say something, but we can't because rent is due and Verizon, AT&T need our $200. And <laughs> Yeah, that's the least. That's the least <laughs> of them. But you need to decide what your goal is. And a goal is different for everybody. You may be a guy who just wants to get free product um, to trade product for work, whether that's video or photography. Um, I mean, you could you could do any other sorts of work, but those are the two most common ones. Um, some of you guys out there might want to just support the habit. You know, make enough money that it pays for your hunting trips. Uh, maybe work content into those hunting trips to basically fund them. Uh, but if you could get your trips and your tags and your uh, gear more or less paid for through the work that you're doing content wise, then you'll be happy. 
Um, then there's obviously those of you who might, maybe you uh, don't have a whole lot of time to commit. Uh, maybe you uh, just only want to do it part-time, and that's fine. Um, but that's uh, that's a goal that some of you may have, is just to be able to do this part-time around maybe another job or um, anything else that you may be doing. And I think that if part-time is your goal, then it's important to figure out how much money uh, you need to make to dedicate the amount of time that you would want to or need to dedicate uh, to making that work. Obviously, that's different for everybody. Uh, Everybody's kind of financial needs are different, but um, you definitely need to be cognizant of that and write it down because that figure is something that you need to work towards. Uh, We're not going to talk about, we get this question a lot, but we're not going to talk about pricing yourself today. Uh, We're not really going to talk about any of that stuff because that's a whole can of worms that uh, really needs its own podcast. But uh, just have those figures in mind and also know how much time realistically you can uh, put into this. Um, I'll also say that part-time is usually uh, the step that most people take before going full-time. Um, and so <clears throat> if your goal is to go full-time again, you want to look at uh, the same numbers. How much money do you need to be making in order to uh, comfortably support yourself uh, working full-time, not having any other income, unless you know, you've got investments and stuff like that. But you know, it's your finances. You do the math. Don't let me do the math for your finances. If you need somebody to do math for your finances, Clay, Clay, he used to be an accountant. Don't you have a degree in accounting? Business analytics. Right. So like analyzing the money that businesses bring Uh, in and spend? Yeah, sure. (laughs) What else would it be? Business analytics is the study of... Analyzing businesses. All right, back to it. Maximizing cash flow. Accounting. All right. I'm glad that we figured that out. <laughs> Anyways, figure out that number um, so that you can gauge, one, how much time it's going to take you to reach that number, how many clients it's going to take you, how you should price yourself, all of that stuff. Um, and also, if you're looking to do this part-time or full-time, um, you know, kind of look at yourself and figure out, am I okay with sacrificing some of my personal hunting time for work time? Um, Which most people are until they realize how much of their hunting time they actually have to sacrifice. Which is especially true as somebody who's full-time. If you're part-time or you're in the freelance side of things, then you have a lot more control over when you do and do not work. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, most of the time, unless you set your life up this way, you're not getting paid to go on your own hunting trips. Now, there are ways that you can do that. Like we said, that is totally a goal that you can... um, I know. That's totally a goal that you can accomplish, and there's ways to do that. We might talk about them a little bit. Um, But you make money by usually filming and photographing other people. And that means that you probably have a camera in your hand while they have a weapon in their hand and at the most prime times of the season in 
arguably some of the best locations. So there's a trade-off there. You get to go on a lot of cool hunts. You get to hang out with a lot of cool people. Uh, and you don't have to pay to go on those hunts, but you don't get to bring anything back from the hunt except for good memories and content. So that's definitely something that you want to look at. Um, is there anything you want to add to the goal section before we move on um, to sub subsection B of this? I don't think people really... I don't think people realize... Like, obviously, we are full-time, and we do a lot of man days in the field because there are four of us, so obviously four people can do more days than one person. But, like, if you took just Ryer or just me or just Joe or just Caleb, from January 1 to December 31, we're probably doing, let's say, 150 days a year on, on average. Well, especially when we're doing TV. I would say 110 of those days probably are March, April, May, and then September, October, November, December. Mm -hmm. So April is usually a giant month for us because we do a lot of turkey content. September is huge for us because we do a lot of elk content. And then October, November, obviously with whitetails. Yeah, and... um, there's a lot of forethought that goes into the the kind of content you want to do, but like, and we're about to get into that part, right? But realizing that if you want to do this part time, that means you have a job. You also still want to hunt, and you want to do this mm-hmm. to make money or whatever. So you're trying to fit all three of those things in to time on the calendar that you can hunt, which is really only seven months out of the 12 month calendar. Right. So there really isn't like, Oh, I'll do, I'll just do, you know, 15 or 20, 30 days a year. Well, you think about if you do 30 days a year, that's an entire month worth of hunting. Mm -hmm. And if you love to hunt November, well, you've just scheduled November time frames worth of work. So that's something to put into perspective. Yeah. So the next point it's kind of a sub point. You can label it another point if you're taking notes and would like to. I don't like to dictate people's uh, note taking strategies. If you are BS. taking, oh, I do when we're taking notes on our footage <laughs> and it's for edits that I have to do. Yes, okay, I do. Sometimes I do dictate how people take notes, but for you, I won't dictate how you take notes. And if you are taking notes, good for you. That is commendable, and uh, you're better than all of us. Because I, I don't, I haven't taken notes I on never, like a podcast in a long time. In school. Not even in school? Mm-mm. What did you do? Pay attention. I paid attention most, well, of, most of the time. That shows how much more superior I am than you. <laughs> it just, it sticks. And I take, I take notes because I, I always felt that if I was focusing on taking notes and hearing what the person was saying and writing it down, I was more worried about ingesting it and getting it back on on paper than I was actually like listening to what they were saying. If that makes sense. That thought process is scientifically unfounded. Okay. Anyway, moving on. They say writing notes actually helps you retain the information better. Even if it takes more work. I think I did. And it's not the same writing it on a computer. Handwritten notes. I only failed one class and I failed it four times. I failed no classes. 
I failed college algebra three times. I keep forgetting to switch the cameras when you're talking. That's okay, it's fine. I kind of just maybe butt in a little bit just to see if you can bam. Bam. <laughs> just to test my reflexes. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> okay, so the next, uh, after that little rabbit trail, the next section is identify your niche. So there's a lot of jobs in the hunting industry, um, and there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, you can have a YouTube channel and do product reviews. You can have a YouTube channel and film your own hunts. You can have a YouTube channel where you and your buddies film your hunts. Um, you can have a podcast. You can have a social media page. You can be a videographer. You can be a videographer um, for like a freelance videographer who just does all kinds of stuff. You could be a TV videographer. Um, you can be a videographer for a production company like what we are. Uh, you can be a photographer for a brand. You can be a freelance photographer. Um, you can be an editor for a production house or for a TV show or for a brand or just for whatever. Um, graphics. You can do graphics. You can do social media. There are a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of jobs. For simplicity's sake, uh, most of this podcast is going to be geared towards people who want to be behind a camera or a computer in a photography, videography, video editing sense. Um, that is obviously not the only jobs that you can get in the outdoor industry, but those are the jobs that we know the most about because those are the jobs that we've been doing. Um, the other jobs that we know about would be being a host for a show or a YouTube channel. Um, but we're not going to talk necessarily about that today. I will say Ryer and I did have a chance to host a show and they pulled the project out from under our legs because they said it'd be unfair to everybody else. They said we'd just be too good. That's what they, they did say. They didn't say that, but I'm guessing that's what they would say. No, 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 no. They said that. They totally said that. That was something that they said. We heard it. I have it recorded. Don't ask for it. It's top secret. I can't give it to you. But they definitely said that. They're like, you'd blow everybody out of the water. It would just be too good. I mean, what What could be better than me, uh, a person who's killed maybe five animals in my entire life, and Clay just on our own trying to kill some whitetails? Just just like everybody else. (laughs) Most people that are popular on social media, they don't kill a lot of stuff. You know why? If they killed a lot of stuff, they wouldn't have time to do the things they're doing on social media. If they were out killing as many things as what they say. But I'm not going to get into names. We'll keep going. There are some people who are killers, though. Oh. And they are on social media. Yeah. Uh, but anyways. Like me. Just wanted to have you <laughs> have, let you have that little moment. I'm not going to talk a lot, or we're not going to talk a lot about um, what it takes to be a host. There's a lot of other things that go into that. uh, And it is arguably one of the hardest um, career paths to take in this industry. Uh, We've talked about this a ton. Not only does it take an extraordinary amount of work, um, it also takes you uh, killing probably a lot of animals, going on a lot of hunts, figuring out how to film that, And for most people, their foray into that is going to be YouTube. And you got to feed the YouTube beast, which means producing a lot of content. 
Um, and there's just a ton that goes into that. And for the sake of this podcast, we want to talk about uh, and talk to the people who want to be behind the scenes um, and how to get into that. Uh, I think we have other podcasts about being a host. If we don't, then maybe we will get some guests on here. It'd be a good reason for Chuck to come see us and buy yeah, lunch. Yeah, and we can have somebody who has been successful in that career path talk about it more in depth. Um, but when I say identify your niche, what I'm talking about is figuring out who you want to work for and what type of work you want to do. Um, because like we said before, when we were talking about goals, um, you need to figure out what type of content and what kind of skill level you need to have and who you need to be, as we get later into this list, who you need to be, uh, getting your work in front of and talking to, to get hired. Um, if you want to be a photographer, then you're going to need to be skilled at photography and taking pictures. If you want to be a videographer, that's a whole different skill set, and you got to know how to run a video camera. If you want to be a video editor, again, a whole separate skill set, and you need to know how to edit. Uh, further than that, if you want to uh, work for a TV show or a production house, the level of skill that you're going to need in any of these arenas, whether it's photography or videography or video editing or graphics, is probably going to be at a higher level than if you were uh, doing freelance work or YouTube work. Uh, not to say that there's not people doing freelance work and YouTube work that aren't equally talented to us. Um, it's just that in order to get a production company or a TV show to go, oh man, that guy's good, um, you got to be pretty good. Uh, the same thing with photography. If you're trying to do brand photography, one, there is a ton of competition and there are some giants in the photography space that, I mean, you're just, you're not going to beat yet. Um, I don't want to say photography is easier than video because they each are their own animal in themselves, but a lot of people kind of gravitate towards photography in the beginning mm -hmm. because a lot of the principles of photography translate into video just on a motion basis, generally speaking. And a lot of people, once they get those down, they just kind of stay there. And they're like, oh, I'll just move on to video later on. And then they get really good at photography and they're like, I'm so, like, I have this whole gig going on. I don't need to add something to it to complicate it. Yeah. So there, the competition in photography is is big, but... I would say there's also a, a smaller learning curve initially. Um, it takes less time to get a photo that you're happy with when you're first learning than it takes to get a video that you're happy with um, just because of the technical complexity of video and how, many ver like how much stuff goes into it. Uh, you really have to learn a whole, like a lot more things initially to be able to get a product that you're happy with. Um, with photography, I think that learning curve is shortened a little bit, but um, I will say that there's a point in photography uh, where it becomes much, much, much harder 
to get a stellar, outstanding image. And that's where a lot of the people who work on the brand space stand out. Um, there's a lot of people who can take good photographs, passable photographs, things that you can put on social media. Um, there are a lot fewer photographers who can take catalog imagery, who can take um, images for stores and uh, like commercial imagery. And um, then obviously there's just some photographers who stand out head and shoulders whose photographs are just excellent. And it's incredibly difficult to get to that level of photography. So while the initial, while the initial um, skill learning process may be a little quicker, I think that to get to a high level of photography um, is still incredibly difficult. And I would say that, um, I mean, you're looking at a, a pretty similar difficulty as far as high-level photography and high-level videography and video editing. Um, I think that the just the complexity of video editing and videography and like the marriage of those two that's necessary when you're learning um, kind of stops people from diving into it because you can get very confused very quickly and people see and there's no like positive result right you 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 do it and you just get confused and then your stuff looks like trash and you just like well that was worth like worthless and well and i think like on the editing side people see a timeline a photo of a timeline that is way above their skill level at the time and they think that that is how every single timeline looks Right, and it automatically pushes them away, which obviously isn't the case. But I think people like there's there's a learning curve. I mean, I got hired here, and the first thing I ever edited on was TV, mm-hmm. and I was like, uh, "Okay." And Caleb goes, "Yeah, it's probably not going to be very good, but just have Ryer I help you." And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay." I take that back. I take that back. The first thing I ever edited on was red footage that was not shot correctly. What video was that? <sighs> Uh, it was a thing for Chuck that Masioc shot. They shot it on red. It was it was it was a it was a hunting habit that didn't get aired. Oh, okay, but uh, was that red footage? And then the next thing was TV. And I was like, oh, all right, yeah. Okay. So there is definitely a learning curve to all of these things. So there's definitely a learning curve, and it's important to. It's important to figure out where you want to be in the space so you can start. You can either say, hey, I've already got the skill set to do this, or I need to start developing these skill sets in order to do these things. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really a whole other podcast is the skill set yeah. you need to be a successful photographer or the skill set you need to be a successful videographer. Mm-hmm. All these things, uh, we're not going to talk about those, but identify what you're passionate about, what you're interested in, and what you want to be doing with whatever time that you want to dedicate. Uh, And also determine what's going to make you that money. Um, I've always held the opinion that it's great to have goals and dreams, but some goals and dreams don't pay as well as other ones. And some goals and dreams just aren't made for everybody. I could have the goal and the dream to have been an NBA player. Simply wasn't going to happen. I don't. I think I could have worked as hard as every other person ever, and I still wouldn't have ended up in the NBA. <laughs> Just genetically, is not possible. I had the goal of being a Air Force fighter pilot. 
I had a cross eye at the age of 19. So that nicks that idea. Um, I had a goal of having a full head of hair and look at me now. Yeah. Nothing you can do about that. It's just straight genetics right there. You tried laser hair treatment? Uh, no, I did not. Because mm. I found out how much it was. And I <laughs> would rather have that money. Hats, and, uh, hat is much less expensive. Well, I'd rather, I literally told the doctor, I looked him straight in his face, the hair doctor who was bald. I looked him in That's the like face. That's like a skinny chef. And I can't say what I said on the podcast, but I said um, something along the lines of, I will find a woman that doesn't care what my hair looks like. A lo- something along the lines of that. Look at you now. Look at me now. whoop de doo <laughs> So be realistic about how much money you're needing to make, how much time you want to dedicate to it, and be realistic about how much money you can make doing the things that you are doing. Um, and also, I think, Clay, this would be a great place for you to jump in. There's a lot of avenues in the content space that aren't hunting that are great ways to, one, start getting paid, two, start making work, and three, um, just get things rolling. Um, that's, I mean, that's what Clay did before he worked here. I mean, you can do content for brands and businesses in your local town, uh, whether that's photography or videography or video editing or social media or rolling all those up into one. Uh, and that's a great way to start, you know, making money maybe to use to um, add to your gear collection or to be able to give you enough money to take the time that you need uh, off of work or whatever it is that you can put more time into developing the skill sets that are going to allow you to um, do more part-time or full-time work. It's it's also going to help you develop a style. mm -hmm. Like everyone has their own style and that style can you can use that to your advantage or you it could go against you. Like you could have a style and come to us and say, and it'd be completely different than our style and say, Hey guys, you know, here's some stuff I've made. Um, let me know what you think. If you ever need any help or you get a project like this, I know it's different than what you guys do, but if you ever have the opportunity to work on something like this and you need help with that, I'm all ears. I'm willing to help. And that, that conversation could go, Hey man, appreciate it. Your stuff looks awesome. We don't normally get work like that because people kind of come to us for a certain thing. Um, but if the opportunity arises, we'll let you know. Or it could go, hey man, we've actually turned down a lot of work because we're just not good at this and we push them in the direction of someone that's better than us at that. Maybe it could be a conversation where we work with you on those things and kind of team up on it and it benefits everybody. So it could go it could go one or two ways. But identifying your style and then going after clients or production companies or companies that fit that style is is really what I would recommend. Like if you have a super dark, contrasty, moody, um I guess dark, I don't want to say goth, but like dark type style. Like, that's not what Yeti is. Like, Yeti doesn't do that. Yeti doesn't right. get super. So <clears throat> probably having that type of thing and going after Yeti, probably not the best thing to do. Unless, for some, for some reason, Yeti goes after this giant rebrand. 
or if you have a super um, southern rock country type style, it's not really a Sidka type Sidka type style that they right. like that they like to associate with. So making sure you're going after the right people that fit your style is gonna is gonna put the odds in your favor a bit more too. Yeah. You've segued perfectly into the next into the next point, Clay. You're welcome. Which is and say it with me, folks, shoot and edit. <sighs> that is I have it on my list as number two. I think at this point it's like number three. But once you have figured out your goals, once you've identified your niche and maybe figured out the type of content that you would like to be creating, the next part in the process is to be creating that type of content. I think a a lot of times people want to sit back and wait for somebody to give them the opportunity to start creating content. But the reality is, you're not going to get that opportunity unless you can show that you have the potential or can make work like that already. So you need to be creating work that is going to appeal to the people, the brands, the businesses, the whatever it is that you are looking to work for or with. And also to develop your skills. If your skill set is not to the point where you are able to achieve your goal um, because you're just not going to get paid enough or get enough work yet, then the solution to that is to independently go shoot and edit and repeat, whether it's shooting and editing photography, shooting and editing video, or just shooting video, or just editing video, whatever it may be, you need to be doing that thing. And you need to be gearing what you're shooting, what you're editing, what type of content you're creating for the type of work that you want to be doing. Um, You kind of have to practice how you play, and that's how you develop your skill sets. And we've harped on that a lot, uh, but that's really the best way to get better in this industry. And I would say that as a company, we are kind of in that little hole right now where we have these three or four ideas or pilots out that Hmm. we are trying to use to help diversify our portfolio of clients that we want to work with and can't work with. And we're more than capable of working with them. But I feel like you feel like Joe feels like Caleb definitely feels like the people hear the name Copeland creative and they automatically push us into this corner of content where we're more than capable of doing way more than the corner we're pushed in, but because we get pushed in that corner so much, we constantly get those clients or I don't want to say those clients. That's completely wrong. That style of content request Mm -hmm. and um, doesn't give us the ability to move outside of that. And we're hoping that the North Georgia project helps with that. The one with Ellsworth works with that. I think it's a big reason why uh, we struggle to get in the fishing industry is we just need that one person to tell us, yes, you can do this project. And then after that, you know, things will start rolling in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the stuff with Bergara has been a great step in that yes, direction. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and being able to really dive into um, 
the films and the series is that we've yep. been able to do with them has mm-hmm. definitely been um, like a great step in the direction. And I think you bring up a great point is that we know our potential. And I say we as a collective, right? You guys are included in the we. We have to be honest about the level of work that we create as creators, obviously. Um, Because once you're honest with yourself and you realize, hey, maybe there's a discrepancy and I want to create a higher level of content. Or maybe, hey, I want to change what type of content I'm doing or whatever. You know, that requires being honest with yourself first off and then figuring out how do I make that happen. But secondly, um, even though we know our potential and we know that we could accomplish this or you know that you could accomplish this, if you don't have the evidence that you have accomplished something similar, a company is not going to give you money, a brand is not going to give you money, a production house is not going to hire you based um, based on like the faith and and your charisma. It's just not going to happen, and that's the reality of it. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow, but you have to be able to demonstrate your potential. And that's why it's so important to be shooting and editing at the highest level that you are capable of and hopefully continuing to get better because when we get to these next few steps and you approach brands or people that you want to work with, the first thing they're going to ask is, what have you done? Show me some examples of your work. And if you don't have examples of your work, well, that you're in one ear and out the other. Um, new, I don't want to say new timely, but not content from 10 years ago. Like it needs to be updated, mm-hmm. relevant, uh, recent is the recent content. Yeah. And I think also um, this point goes again towards if you're already full time, but you're looking to get to the next level or you're looking to step out of the space that you've been working in. Um, I actually have a call with that guy from YouTube today about this. Oh, perfect. Or if not YouTube, uh, the Instagram. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell him to listen to this too. Maybe I will. Nice. So if you are already a full-time content creator and you want to step into a different realm than you currently exist in, then you need to create projects that will appeal to impress and demonstrate your capability to the decision makers in the realm that you are trying to move to. Um, Like Clay said, we've largely been uh, a TV show company for a long period of time. I mean, that was, that was our bread and butter was hunting TV shows. Um, And we have wanted to get more into the docu-series space, more into the brand anthem, brand film space, uh, and kind of move in that direction. But even as many TV shows as we've done, as many uh, web shows as we've done, as many other projects that we have done, we haven't done as many projects that are in those spaces, or we hadn't. Um, That is obviously changing. Um and it has been changing for the past year with, like I said, some of the companies that we have been fortunate enough to work with and who have given us the shot. Um, but the two or three pilots that we have out right now are a great example of, I think, us putting our money where our mouth is. It doesn't matter how good you are in this industry. 
uh, or how good you are in another industry, you, if you're trying to move into a new section, into a new realm or do a new thing, you have to be able to demonstrate that you're capable of doing that new thing. And that demonstration often comes down to you doing, in the video world, what are called spec pieces or pilots. The UNG um, softball pilot or spec piece that we just did was exactly that. Um, it was the first episode of what we hope to be uh, a docu-series for the college, but we did it completely on our own dime with our own time just to, for our own sake, do it and do it to the ability that we know we're capable of so that hopefully we get that project. But if not, we can show that to people and say, hey, look, we have done this before. This is an example of what we're capable of. And that process of, quote, doing work for free doesn't go away. Um, we did that same thing with the film. Yeah. The film, God, I don't know what that cost. I want to know what that cost Caleb, but it cost a decent amount of money to do that. Um, the UNG cost us some money. The one was with Ellsworth cost us some money. Um, so, and it, it goes to show that no matter what level or how big or small you are, it still takes money to make money. Yeah, You still have to spend money and hope you get money back in the long term from that versus someone like people aren't always going to come to you and say, hey, can you make this thing for us? It's a lot of the time it's going to be, hey, we've seen that you've done this thing. Could you put our twist on it? Yeah. And I think that gets to the next point in the discussion, which is, so you've figured out your goal. You've identified your niche or what you want to be doing. Uh, you've began shooting and editing and building uh, a portfolio of the work that you're capable of uh, in the space that you want to be working in, whether that's videos or photography or whatever it is. Now you have some work. The next part of the process is people have to see that work. That work is no good if it sits on your hard drive. It's no good if nobody sees it. And especially, you need to get it in front of the people that you want to work with and for. Um, and so, obviously, social media is a great outlet for that. There's a, um, there's a ton of tools on social media that you can use to get your work out there and in front of people. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that a whole lot. You guys basically know what that process is. You make things, you post it. Uh, you try to play the social media algorithms, and essentially you hope that somebody uh, from a brand comes across it and goes, oh, man, this guy's good. I want to have them do X, Y, and Z, right? But further than that, you also want to take an active approach. Again, you can use social media for this. You can also use LinkedIn. You can use uh, websites. Do the legwork and find the companies and brands that you want to work for and get your work in front of them. And not, not in a way that's like, hey, I want you to look at all this stuff. 
basically say, hey, you know, I'm interested in doing X, Y, and Z for your brand, or I've identified like, hey, you know, I am this, I can do this for you guys. Uh, here's an example of my work. I'd love to talk with you guys further. Um, this would have been a great part of the podcast to have Caleb on because that's kind of his specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moral of the story is don't just passively post things on social media and hope that somebody will come across that. That is not rare, but I wouldn't base my entire livelihood on that. No, I would not be like, hey, babe, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to try to do this full time. Oh, okay, yeah, what's your plan? I'm just going to post a bunch of stuff and hope someone right. sends a check in the mail. It's like That's probably not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is, like Ryer said, do that because obviously social media is a great way as creatives to have an active portfolio. But get a hold of people like us or um like the marketing managers. The, yes. Like the business owners, mm-hmm. like the people who are gonna be who's giving you the green light and the money to do whatever it is that you want to do and get in their ear. Or the people that run the social media accounts. Because if you can make the life of the social media manager easy, Mm -hmm. they can be a very great person to have on your side when something is needed. Like, hey, this guy, this girl does this thing. They give it to me exactly how I need it. All I have to do is download it and post it. I don't have to do anything else or or whatever it is. Um, So maybe... If you want to go directly to the head person in charge, or you can stair step your way up, but um, a lot, a lot of it is who you can get a hold of and who you know. Yeah, I think that there's not really a shortcut. A lot of it is just plain and simple networking and play the numbers game and play the numbers game. Um, and again, this all goes back to what's your goal and who do you want to work for. If you're trying to work for brands, then you need to be getting in contact with the people who run those brands, the brand managers, the marketing, uh, the marketing directors, all of those people, right? And Diver- getting your work in front of them. If yeah. you're trying to work for a production company, then find some production companies, figure out what their contact information is, and get your name in their ear, you know? I will say that sometimes you may send out all these emails or direct messages on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever, and it may not be immediately fruitful, right? We may have somebody say, hey, here's a portfolio of my work. I'm a freelance editor. I specialize in this, that, and the other thing. Um, You know, I'd love to work with you guys if you have projects or have a conversation with you guys about it. And, you know, some of the times we just don't have projects that we need the additional help on. But if we have seen, if you've sent a portfolio and maybe we've had a conversation, whatever it may be, and we've seen your name, I'm pretty sure Caleb keeps a a list on his computer of potential freelance people, whether it's for videography, whether it's for photography, 
whether it's for editing, whatever. Graphics. I mean, we have a lot of graphics guys on on a list. Yeah, and so it may not be like, oh yeah, we've got a project right now, but later on down the line, we may get a project and go, oh, we need some manpower, we need some help with this, you know, or hey, this guy has a really unique skill set that would cater perfectly for what we're trying to do. And then your name comes to mind and we go, Hey, why don't we, why don't we reach out to this guy? And I think that that's the same for anything. Well, that's how, that's what happened with the Begara stuff is Caleb Dakota is the Begara brand manager and Begara is owned by BPI that has CVA Begara power belt bullets, uh, Quake gunslings. And Caleb was actually in camp. We started doing content for Bergara three years ago. I think it was five years before that. He was in a hunting camp with another client, and Dakota was there. Mm-hmm. And they started talking. Caleb is big on follow-up emails. He sends an email once a month or once every two or three months to the same 30, 40 list of people that he has. Um, and about a week after... Or five years after this trip, Caleb was doing his follow-up email with Dakota. Um, hey, man, how's it going? If you ever need any help, you know we're right around the corner, blah, 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 blah. Um, and here we are three years later. Basically, we have our hands on a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of Bagar and CVA content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that was a, that was a five-year thing. Um, not I wouldn't say we were waiting around for that because we weren't, but it was something that... The initial contact was made five years ago. Well, and the, the, another segue, Clay, another segue. Look at this. And we took an opportunity. Correct. The, the first work that we did for them was a project that had a very short deadline and um, needed to be accomplished fairly quickly. Was that the barrel video? I don't remember 100% which video it was, but essentially they needed somebody to like step in and make it happen. And the timeline to do it was very quick. And, you know, Caleb said, they contacted Caleb and he said, Hey, we've got this, we've got this thing that needs accomplished. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time to do it. It's going to be X, Y, and Z. You guys up for it. And that was our opportunity. And had we said, no, oh, that's not enough time. Uh, we just whatever. Made it, we made it happen. Yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> litany of excuses or, or reasons that we couldn't have done it, whether they're legitimate or not, um, had we not said yes to that opportunity, we would not be sitting here two years later um, with the relationship that we have with them now and doing the amount of work that we do for them now. And that's my last point is take the opportunities because if you get your name in front of people, if you get your work in front of people, the right people, okay, not just the masses of social media, the decision makers, the check writers, the people who make things go on the media side of these companies, eventually assuming you're doing good enough work and assuming you're doing the legwork to find the people to talk to and get your work in front of, eventually you will get opportunities. And you have to, 
and Caleb said this, we've done whole podcasts about this, you have to be able to say yes. You have to be willing to say yes. And sometimes saying yes is scary. Um, I mean, I think regularly we say yes to things and go, all right, now we got to figure out how to accomplish that. And that doesn't stop, you know, as you get better. You should always be seeking to challenge yourself creatively and, and find projects that push you as a creative. Um, if you're just doing the same thing day in and day out, you're not going to get better. But saying yes, especially at the beginning, I think now that I've built up my confidence and experience and Clay and Caleb and Joe have all done the same thing, that saying yes even to challenging projects isn't scary because we have the confidence and knowledge to know that we can get it done. Um, but when you're first starting out, you, you, don't, you may not have that confidence yet. And so the saying yes can be a very scary thing to do. And your first instinct may be like, no, that's too hard. No, I can't accomplish it. Like whatever it is. But you have to be willing to take the risk, to take the jump, to push yourself and to take the opportunities as they come to you. And if this is something that you're looking to do, you have to, in some kind of way, set yourself up to be ready for the opportunities when they present themselves to you. I know that in the past, when we were doing a lot of TV shows, we would have people come to us um, and want us to do this project or this project or the other project. And there was a lot of times that we had to say no because we didn't have the manpower to accomplish those while we were um, spending the amount of time that we were, we were spending on the TV shows. TV shows are incredibly manpower intensive and you know, it sucks to have to say no to an opportunity because you just, it's not in your schedule, you know? And as we were trying to figure out, Hey, how do we move into these new spaces? the first thing you do is, okay, we need to free up time to be able to say yes to these opportunities when they present themselves. Ranger is having a hell of a time down there on the, under the table. Um, and so we as a company had to figure out how to do that. And so you as an individual have to do the same thing. You know, more likely than not, I feel like the opportunities that the world and life throws at you do not come to you at opportune times. They don't ever come to you when you're like, oh yeah, I'm perfectly ready and able to do this thing, right? They, it seems like they always come to you where, you're, where there's, there is some obstacle that could stop you from taking that opportunity. But you have to pass over that obstacle and take that opportunity. You know, maybe you've got an awesome elk tag, Right? And you've had this hunt scheduled. But the brand that you've been wanting to work for for three years calls you up and says, hey, we just had a photographer get Ebola. And we need somebody. That escalated quickly. <laughs> well, I was going to say COVID, but. Ooh, they might censor us for that. Yeah, I don't know. They've gotten a mysterious illness from the jungles of Panama. And they can't go on this trip. We need somebody in two days. Are you able to do this? And now you're faced with a really tough decision. 
are you going to take that opportunity and sacrifice your hunt and your hunting time? Or are you going to say no and go on your hunt? And I will say from a brand perspective, not a brand perspective, from a hunting production company perspective, it may you may get one opportunity like that, right? Like there's this list of people. You're on the list. We call you. Hey, can you make this happen? No? All right. We call the next guy. They say yes. They come do a good job. Boom. Now they're that's their now they're the go-to guy. Right? And so you may only get that one opportunity with that brand. It's not to say you won't get other opportunities from other brands or at other times. But you have to be willing and able to take the opportunities as they come to you. You don't know when they're going to come to you, and there's always going to be a reason why you can't take that opportunity. But you have to figure out how to do it if it's the opportunity that's going to get you in whatever door it is that you want to get into. Because more than likely, if that's your opportunity, they went to someone else, that person said no, and they were like, okay, we'll try the next guy. Right. And they, I mean, I don't want to say they had a list of like five guys they were going to call, but they had a number of guys and they were, gave this guy an opportunity. Nope. All right, next. Gave this guy an opportunity. Nope, next. And now it's your turn. Right. So don't be the nope next guy. Yeah, and it's the same. I mean, this industry is not different and most things in life. Are, I, the reason why people love sports is because sports are a great analogy for how life works, right? You got somebody in whatever level of football who... Football or football? football? Oh, you can go baseball. You can no, go no, golf. I'm asking if you're talking about football or if you're talking about football. If I was talking about football, I would have said that. Okay, sorry. I actually would have said soccer. Okay. Living here. And not being of any other descent other than American. But you've got somebody who's been waiting on the sideline for their opportunity. The guy in front of them gets hurt. You know, now's their opportunity. They go in and kill it. Boom, you're looking at somebody who's now got a career in the NFL. Tom Brady. In, you're right. Tom Brady got his first start because dude snapped his leg. Mm-hmm. He was the third string. Right. And he had to be ready. He had to be ready to do that and willing to do that, and he had to perform. And all of this, I hope you guys are seeing how all of these steps are crucial in you making that goal happen of getting hired, right? Because you don't just show up to the big game and be Tom Brady. I mean, honestly, Tom Brady wasn't even Tom Brady when he showed up at the game, but that's... The Patriots were like under 500 his first two years. Yeah, but regardless, dude obviously had something special, but he didn't just appear that way, right? He spent how many years working, putting in the time, sitting on the bench, still doing the work, proving again and again to coaches that he had the ability to do something. And finally, his opportunity comes, he makes something of it, and becomes potentially one of the best quarterbacks to ever play in the NFL. And that's not dissimilar to how it may be trying to accomplish whatever goal you may have in this industry, right? You've got to develop. You've got to figure out what you want to do, right? Tom Brady figured out he wanted to be a quarterback in football. Yeah. Okay. So he figures out what he wants to do. Then he goes, "How do I become an NFL quarterback 
what skills do I need to attain? Then he starts acquiring those skills, right? You have to start acquiring the skills to do whatever it is that you are trying to do. Okay. Then for however long, he's continually utilizing those skills, improving on the skills. Utilizing the skills, improving on the skills. Basically, he's playing football. Getting better, getting better, getting better. Moving up to the next level, moving up to the next level, moving up to the next level. Again, that's shooting, that's editing, that's doing the things, doing whatever it is that you're trying to do. You're getting really deep on this. Hey, that's what I do. They call me Ryer the Submarine Porter. Wow. 20,000 leagues, that's where we're going, baby. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then, I mean, Tom Brady's not really making spec pieces. That's kind of a, but, <laughs> you know, you can extrapolate. Have you what, not seen his Hertz commercials he's been doing? <laughs> I, it's great when the. Love Hertz. I, I'm in love. I haven't actually seen those. I'll have oh, to go watch dude. them. Are they good? Some spec pieces. Let me tell you something. I mean, I guess Tom Brady's spec pieces would just be like doing good in games. I'm Tom Brady. There's my spec piece. <laughs> Anyways, your your spec pieces that you're shooting and editing are essentially your stats from playing that coaches would look at, brand managers can look at. We're getting this. Okay. Then, obviously, he's getting his playing in front of people. They're seeing him play, and eventually somebody decides to draft him, put him on the third string, right? He's now on the list. He's not the starting guy, but he's on the list. Then eventually he gets his opportunity and he capitalizes on it because of all the work that he's put in on the front end. And then he wins a Super Bowl. And another Super Bowl. So basically you could be the next Steven Spielberg. And another Super Bowl. How, what is it, 10, 11? And, and 10? No, I think he's got like eight. Eight? Yeah. I thought it was more than that. No. I'm, maybe I'm getting him and Yogi Berra mixed mm, up. Probably him and uh, Nick Saban who <clears throat> broke my heart and retired. Oh, yeah, that did just happen. Hold on. Before we get to that, we'll get to that because I think this will be a good a good thing. But anyways, those are the steps, okay? If you do this, then you've got a great chance. And again, shoot, edit, get your name in front of people, figure out the companies that you want to work for, and don't be shy. Get your name and work in front of people. Okay, now with the official, did we wrap that up good enough, Clay? I think so. Okay, let's talk about, well, I mean, I, you can. I don't really know that much, but Nick Saban. You are a, a pretty staunch Alabama fan. Yeah. How Was. What? <laughs> no longer? <laughs> Were you only a fan because of Nick Saban? No. I've no. actually never been to an Alabama sport, college sporting event in my life. Never? Clay. Well, I grew up in Daytona. Most of the time, they were in a national championship, which didn't get played in Florida. So, But you haven't, like, as much of a fan as you are, you've never been to, like, a game? Are you going to go, like, is it the same now that Nick Saban has left? Well, like, do you I, have I any probably interest? afford to go now that Nick Saban's not there. Are tickets expensive? Oh, my God. I've never looked at tickets for I, an Alabama game. Expensive. How much for, like... Well, the worst seat. My dad, stepmom, and sister went to a Georgia game because she's getting her master's at Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia played Old Miss, and tickets were $320 a piece. For where? Just in the stadium. I mean, they weren't like, if you fall, you need a parachute, like nosebleeds, but they weren't on the 50. Mm. 
went to three games last year, but to be fair, I yeah. have access to season tickets. So. Right. So will you, I mean, is it the same? I'm too deep now. I, I got to stay a Bama fan. <laughs> I got Now all these Georgia fans waited their 60 years or whatever for Georgia to get good again. So now it's about time for me to die. Alabama will be good again. So you think it's going to? You don't think whoever's coming in is going to be able to build Dude, and maintain the so program? So many people decommitting already. Really? Dude, kids don't go to Alabama for Alabama. They go because of Nick Saban. Why is is it just because they he know puts, that he'll he, develop them? He has. He puts a lot of people in the pros. A lot. Is that because like, of his connections like or Nick just because of how good Nick he is? Nick Saban builds his roster because he suspects that like thirty percent of his roster when they're juniors is going to. Really? Yeah. How common is that for guys not to finish college? A lot. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, a lot. I always assumed that the guys played four years. Not anymore? I, I think they're going to change that and make them start playing all four years or um, put, like, there's a lot of kids that, you know, let's just say they go to Missouri. Mm-hmm. In Missouri, it's like he's like the number two ranked wide receiver or whatever. Well, Missouri didn't play for crap this year. They played in some one of the seventy-five thousand bowl games there are. There's too many. Well, once once dude realizes he's not playing for a national championship, he's not in the final four. They're ranked like fifteenth or something. He's like, well, I have really high draft stock. I'm not gonna go play in this bowl game and get hurt. That's mm-hmm. why Georgia beat the crap at FSU. Georgia would have won anyways, but Georgia was number six. FSU was number five, and. Like half of FSU's starting roster just didn't play because they're going pro. And they're like, well, we're not going to play Georgia and get hurt. That's fair. So then they had a bunch of freshmen and sophomores play. They had their third string quarterback playing because their second string quarterback thinks he's going to go in the NFL, which he might. I don't know. I don't work for ESPN. But would you? No. Would you be a golf analyst? No. No? Because it's getting to the point now where you can't just go get like a broad, like you can't, you can go get a broadcasting degree or communications degree and, like, host a sports show, but you're not, like, one of the the analysts. Like, they want to pay people. Like, Tony Romo makes more from CBS narrating football games than he ever did playing football for the Cowboys. Really? Oh, he makes, like, $220 million a year just to host something stupid, just to talk about football twice a week. What do you have? Like, what kind of qualifications do you need to be an analyst? Do you basically have to be an ex-pro? Well, that's, that's what a lot of stuff is leaning towards. Yeah. Yeah. Or a college, like college player, but you would be like a golf broadcaster. Somebody called you up and they're like, "Hey, we want you to be the host of the Masters." Absolutely not. No, you put a live mic on me. Come on, no. You don't think you could do it? I wouldn't it? trust myself with a live mic. Absolutely not, dude. I have to censor. Clay is my- not taking his opportunities. I, I would to, take that I opportunity. I have to censor myself for a podcast that makes zero dollars. How profane do you get watching golf? Do you get very? I've never I know watched how golf. Profane with you. I get playing golf. Yeah, but that's different than watching golf. Do you get profane watching golf? The problem is, is like if someone does something, you can't be like, "Oh, he's sucking today," or "Today he's just trash." Like you can't say that. But you could say it in a nice way, don't they? Say it in a nice way. You've watched enough broadcasts. Tell me how a golf broadcaster would say that. Ah, uh, he's off his game today. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> he's trash. I mean, to be fair, you don't have the right voice for it. No, I don't. No. I can't. I don't. Well, have I don't even have the right voice for it because I'm too boomy. Yeah. Like, I would, good for football, baseball, fine, general PA announcing. Boxing, Boxing would be good. Hockey. Boxing is great because I don't need, like, well, except, for, you know what's crazy is 
People used to listen to boxing on the radio. They listen to used to listen to everything on the radio. I know, but like nobody really does anymore that much. Well, I know. So my family is diehard Eagles fans. So they'll listen to it on. So they will pull up the hometown radio station, mm. turn off the broadcasters of the game because they always think that. Which sometimes, I mean, if this is Joe Buck is terrible. I hate Joe Buck. So well, it's some you know ones. each broadcasters have their own biases, and you know they're like, I don't want to listen to this guy bullcrap on my yeah. Eagles. So they pull up the hometown radio station and listen to it while. The Watch. game is going, which I have thought about doing that at Braves games because I personally like to hear the commentary, mm-hmm. and I've thought about it'd be cool to put like a AirPod in and listen to the radio broadcast of the game while it's going. Right. So then you have more context. It's just like a five second delay. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, honestly, sometimes like I know this is because I wasn't a professional college baseball star like everybody else in this office appears to be <laughs> but sometimes i like i like watching baseball i like baseball it doesn't hold my interest for a very long period of time that's As, why they added a pitch clock they cut 45 minutes but off. to be fair i liked the games being longer because i liked going to the stand like going to the game and being able to like have a whole conversation eat a hot dog like half pay attention half not and, like, do that for a couple hours. Now, like, Cleo and I go to a game. It's like an hour and a half. Like, what do we... I drove longer to get here than the game has been. It's upsetting. Like, I personally... I would rather it be... I mean, to be fair, I watch cycling, which is six hours. Seven over, hours. Over how many days? Depends on what race, but yeah. the tour is, like, 21. It's, like, three weeks. Yeah, I think there's 21 stages. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, you can usually just tune into like the last 30 minutes. and It's, it's like NASCAR. That's basically Watch the last five happens. laps. Yeah. Or you could just like you'd be following along and you know, like certain stages will be pivotal stages. Right. And you could just watch that stage. There's a lot of stages that are just kind of throwaway stages that right. nothing really significant happens unless like you really like cycling. I really like cycling. So I'll watch the whole thing. And it's all interesting to me. But if somebody doesn't like cycling, like you could, like Joe came over uh, last year during mm-hmm. the tour and we were watching it. And I basically was like, okay, so here's the lead guy. Here's a secondary guy. There's a time gap of this much. This is a pivotal stage. If this guy beats this guy, then depending on how much, he may take over the Tour de France. And so then it's like, okay, the stakes are real. But for a lot of the stages, it's like that's the those two guys aren't even competing against each other in that stage. I don't watch baseball anymore. No? I got a buddy. I'll watch some college baseball. Like, I like watching the College World Series. But I got a buddy that plays for the Orioles, starting off for the, for the Orioles. I have an alert set when he's on deck. My app, my uh, MLB app goes off. He's on deck. I turn the game on. When his at-bat's over, I turn it off. You don't want to go watch him field? I watched him like I went and watched him play in Atlanta this year. Taylor and my sister and I went. You just care to see him bat, really? Well, I mean, you can't really watch him field unless they hit the ball to him. Well, yeah, I know. So I'm, I mean, I know you. If he does something, alert. if he does something awesome, it'll be all over the internet next day, anyways. Like if he robs a home <laughs> run or makes a diving check catch, it'll be on the Orioles Instagram, anyways. So like, that's true. So he never did me any favors. He's gotten you into some games, hasn't he? One. He's coming to the wedding, so it's all right, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's cool. I filmed his wedding. Nice. I mean, I, hey, you know. I sat on the bench a lot for that guy, so he could play and get better. So, really, he's there because of me. Did, he sit on the, did you sit on the bench for him, or did <laughs> did he play better than you, which caused you to sit on the bench? Well, obviously, he played better than me, but yeah. he was a year older than me, too, so he had a he had seniority. <laughs> but as far as everyone else is concerned, I sat on the bench so he could get better. Right, just sacrifice. I did. And you could have been there. But no, no You chance. could have been there. No chance. Top bunner in no the chance. MLB. No chance. All right. Well, how long have we been going? Uh, one minute. Or, sorry, one hour, 12 minutes, and 37. It's only been an hour and 12? 39, 40. Yeah. Huh? Well, it seems longer because we tried it two times before this. That's true. Hey, Ranger, where is he? Ranger, come here. Let's see if we can give. Come here. Come here. Come on. There he is. Hey, say hi to the people. This is Ranger. This is the one who was puking twice a day. He's uh, actually been pretty good after this. So, All right. I think Ranger's ready to go home. Are you ready to go home, Clay? Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Deuces, fam. See y'all.